Remember when you were a child, cowering under the sheets, scared of the boogeyman under the bed? What if, as adults, that boogeyman never went away? Now he's just bills and deadlines and embarrassing comments made in meetings. Yes, even when you're bone tired, that worry can come for you at night, keeping you awake for hours or interrupting you mid-sleep. How do you deal with stress at night? Any tips? Very welcome. Is there a reason for all this night anxiety? My next guest says nighttime worry is not a modern phenomenon. There's an evolutionary purpose to it. Dr. Rafael Paleo is a professor of psychiatry at Stanford University, specialising in sleep medicine. He's also the author of How to Sleep, the new science-based solutions for sleeping through the night. Dr. Paleo, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you for having me. Raphael, you've heard this scenario many times of people being both mm-hmm. tired and wired. Uh, it's a bit of a meme. What is going on for people here? I think for a lot of people, um, the way they approach their sleep is a problem where they're trying to turn off their brains. A lot of misconceptions about sleep. So I'm really glad to have a chance to talk to you guys about it. Um, there really is no reason why most people won't be able to sleep well. And that's the good news about sleep science is that the vast majority of our patients, despite how poorly they may be sleeping for years or decades, most of them will get better when it's addressed correctly. And that's what we try to do, is try to identify what's what's going on in their lives. And ideally, we want to give people serenity when they, when they get to bedtime. You know, we have all day to worry about other things and things to worry about and to be concerned about. So why not take a break and, and enjoy the night for sleeping and then use your sleeping to get ready for tomorrow? And that's a key concept for me is how to... Uh, get people to sleep better so they can enjoy their lives. And the way I tell my patients is that your life is reflected in your sleep and your sleep is a reflection of your life. It goes in both directions. So to understand how somebody is sleeping, you have to understand how they're living their lives also. That's part of the whole thing. What are some of those misconceptions you mentioned about sleep and how it works? How could we understand it better? Well, there's several. Um, People think they equate sleeping with resting. They say, I can't sleep because I'm not tired. And being tired and being sleepy are two different things. You could do 100 jumping jacks and maybe you feel uh, energized, but you're going to feel tired, but you're not going to feel sleepy. Or they think, uh, logic, if I can't sleep, I should rest because they equate sleeping with resting. So they lay in bed for a long period of time. They spend more time in bed, but their sleep becomes more inefficient. Or they think logically that they wake up depending on what time they fell asleep. But variable wake-up times lead to variable falling asleep times. Uh, people say things to me all the time like, I can't turn off my brain, which again, a misconception about sleeping because sleeping is not about having your brain turned off. Mm-hmm. The brain, in fact, is very active when we're sleeping. So there's several misconceptions that, that drive poor sleep. How have we evolved to sleep? If we have this belief that we're meant to hit the sack eight hours and we're up and fresh, what's really uh, the situation when it comes to sleep? One of my favorite sleep quotes about is um, one of the original sleep scientists said that if sleep has no function, the biggest mistake evolution ever made. Because if you think about it, pretty much all living out, all animals that have been studied sleep to some extent, even jellyfish have been shown to sleep. So all the animals are doing it. There must be a reason we're doing it. And we've been sleeping longer than pretty much any other activity we have as humans. I mean, we've been sleeping before we ever were breathing any oxygen. We were sleeping before we have any solid food. So we were sleeping for hours in utero. Um, so sleep has to have whatever functions it has with an S, plural, have to be so important 
that you put your life at risk of being attacked while you're sleeping because when you are sleeping, you're also vulnerable to being attacked you can, at any moment. And it turns out that all animals protect themselves while they're sleeping to some degree, and we're no exception to that. So a common misconception is that we sleep eight hours in a row. That's simply not true. Humans only sleep about 90 minutes at a time. And about every um, every hour, we have like about five or six, three-second bursts that look like we're awake. So we're waking up throughout the night and we're checking out our surroundings. We don't really, if we really slept eight hours in a row, the lions and tigers would have picked us off at three o'clock in the morning. And also as a parent, it, it should be obvious. How can we be eight hours sleeping mammals if you have to feed our babies every two to three hours, unless the ability to push off sleep is hardwired into our brains. And that's what we have. We have the ability to push off our sleep when necessary and get our sleep later, depending on the circumstances. It sounds like a little bit of a, well, you call it the sleep paradox, this uh, push and pull mm-hmm. between needing to be alert, but needing to rest as well. How does our body usually manage that balance? We sleep in different states. So, Ideally, if you think about the best sleepers in society, it's a misconception. Another mis- misconception to say that somebody slept, they slept like a baby. Well, babies sleep very deeply, but they sleep very short spurts. You don't want, don't want to sleep like a baby. I always say you want to sleep more like an eight or nine-year-old person. If you think about what I just mentioned, that the way you sleep is a reflection of your life, typical eight or nine-year-old person maybe comes home from school, and I'm generalizing, there's all kinds of families, of course, comes home from school, maybe has a snack, they start their homework, they think they have lots of homework, they really don't have that much homework. They have dinner. By the time they finish dinner, finish their homework, it's too late to go outside. There's not a bunch of eight, nine-year-old kids hanging out in the streets at night. They spend time with their family. When they're eight or nine years old, they have a set bedtime. Parents tuck them in. Parents say, I love you, turn off the lights. When you're eight or nine years old, you don't worry about the mortgage or the rent. Safety of the house taking care for you. Somebody wakes up in time to go to school, close the light off for you. You fall asleep easily through the night, wake up refreshed, don't take a nap. And the, pr- the evidence that you're sleeping well as a child is on weekends, the kids do not sleep in on weekends. Parents wish the kids would sleep in, but they don't. They get up. Like, if anything, I remember the joy of waking up on a Saturday morning. So you, a child goes to bed, hopefully, ideally, going, for, going to sleep feeling safe, comfortable, and loved in a state of serenity. And then you're going to get your best sleep. On the other hand, you can be in a situation where you don't feel safe, comfortable, or loved, but you still have to sleep. You cannot deny the biological drive to sleep. In war zones, people sleep. They just don't sleep the same way. So we have different ways of sleeping in different circumstances. So we have this flexibility to how we sleep. If you're in a state of serenity, you'll sleep deeply. If you're in an immediate danger, somebody just says fire or an earthquake here in California, you should be able to rapidly get out of sleep and save yourself. Sleep should be rapidly reversible. So immediate danger, you should stay awake. Um, states of serenity, you should be able to sleep if you need some sleep. But what about chronic danger? Chronic danger seems as chronic stress or the brain. Stress and danger is the same thing. Chronic stress, what the brain does is sleep in spurts. Two or three hours, pops awake, sleeps a little bit longer. And that's how a lot of our patients with insomnia will sleep and, and, kind of, and, and spurts. So I think of insomnia kind of as a survival mode of sleeping. It's the way you sleep when things are not feeling in control to, for you. So that's, that's part of the thing. So we want to get to that state of serenity as much as we can to get people to sleep better. Yeah, and and Raphael, it seems like that state of insomnia is what a lot of people are going through right now, that that chronic stress. How widespread is this stress-sleep imbalance in our modern times? It's extremely common. Um, On any given night, we think that half of us don't sleep well. If you just ask anybody and the listeners, did you sleep well last night? Half will say yes, half will say no. 
But chronic insomnia defines, so insomnia is a symptom. Insomnia is trouble falling asleep or trouble staying asleep. The point that bothers you the next day, that's your body the next day. That's the insomnia symptom. It's like pain. They're pain symptoms. But the insomnia syndrome is defined from, um, arbitrarily as having trouble falling asleep or having trouble staying asleep more than three times a week for more than three months. Usually we see people come into our office with years of poor sleep. But that's how chronic insomnia is defined. Poor sleep more than three times a week for more than three months. And it's manifested exactly, as I said, trouble falling asleep or trouble staying asleep with the next day some impairment. When people don't get enough sleep, the first thing they notice is a little bit irritable, a little bit cranky in the morning. They're grasping for coffee first thing in the morning, for example, which in theory you shouldn't need. You had a full night's sleep. You're inattentive. You make mistakes. You're grumpy. And then from there it goes on, increased risk of heart attacks, health issues, falling asleep at the wheel. There's a whole litany of, of health manifestations from uh, not being able to sleep well. And then the problem is, even if you don't sleep well one night, then the next night you go, here, here it goes again. How bad will it be tonight? And feeling that your sleep is out of your control, whenever you feel something is out of your control, the brain's reaction is to avoid sleeping or sleep as lightly as possible. Because once, once that mindset sits in, I'm working in Silicon Valley, I meet, I meet all kinds of people here. And some people are doing very well in life, but they still tell you the same thing. They fear that if they don't sleep well, something bad will happen tomorrow. They, they, they catastrophize is a term that we often will use, where they worry that lack of sleep will make them sleep, will impact the next day functioning to a degree. So then what happens is they get trapped into the thought of sleeping at night. The thought of sleeping makes them stay awake. And they say things like, I try to sleep. And nobody else ever uses that phrase, I try to sleep. Hopefully, you're not trying to breathe. You're not trying to get hungry. These are these are biological situations. You should be able to go to sleep, not try to sleep. The only way you can try to sleep is by keeping yourself awake. So this paradoxes go on and on, and people spin the wheels, and that's why they get and develop these insomnia patterns. But the good news is if you've ever, ever slept well, the biological wiring for sleep is probably intact, and we can get you back to that same place you were before with the right approach. But if you haven't slept well, can you? Is there a way you could maybe not get back to that place? I'm I'm concerned now, Raphael. No, no, the opposite. I'm giving you good news. <laughs> okay, if good. if you've slept poorly, if you've ever slept, if you've ever slept well, you can sleep well again. Um, if somebody says they never ever slept well, like adults tell me that all the time, my whole <laughs> life they say to me, and I say to them, well, what about when you're five or six years old, seven years old? And they go, oh, I don't count that. That was a kid back then. Like, no, that still counts. If you ever slept well, even if it was only as a child, we should be, for the most part, be able to get you back to that place again. Obviously, there are going to be exceptions to this, but for the most part, if you've ever, ever slept well, we should be able to get you to sleep better. So so that, that's the good news about behind this. Um, there are rare situations people, even as babies, never slept well, but that's relatively rare. Most people have had some memories of having slept, having a good night's sleep. Otherwise, you wouldn't know what a bad night of sleep was unless you had a good one to compare it to, right? You know what a bad meal is because you've had good meals, hopefully. So once you know what a good night of sleep is like, then you know you can get there again. For people with insomnia, though, they feel frustrated because once they've had that good night of sleep and it feels so good to get a good night's sleep, but they can't get it the next night, then they get frustrated. And if you're frustrated, it means something is wrong. And if something is wrong, your brain says avoid sleeping or sleep as lightly as possible.
Mm, and it, that's a trap we want to avoid. Yeah, it, it kicks off. Do you feel better off. now? Yes, yes, I do. But, you know, it kicks off a bit of a vicious cycle. I want to get to that in a moment. Dr. Rafael Paleo is with you, a Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioural Sciences at Stanford University. I asked for your sleep tips. Someone says, I write down my worries on a list next to the bed. My grandma did the same. I find it helps to ease the anxiety I have from the working day. That's a really good tip. And we will get into some of those uh shortly. But uh, speaking of vicious cycles, um, the fact that insomnia makes us worry about getting a good sleep and then we don't get a good sleep and forever and ever. Uh, We had a listener get in touch about how they experienced this cycle in their life. My husband is in his 50s. He's always worked very long hours in a demanding and high-pressured job and has always struggled with sleep. His sleep routine consists of him having a nightcap, then reading a bit and falling asleep. But around 2am, he wakes up tossing and turning and probably worrying about work. He does that for a few hours and then, at 5am, wakes himself up to start his day for work. My kids tell him that part of the problem is his general stress level and alcohol and the fact that after dinner he likes to watch TV and often falls asleep while watching, then waking himself up to get ready for bed. He'd like to stop doing that, but that's the way he winds down at the end of his stressful day, and it's impossible for him to emulate all the stress from his job. So, the cycle just keeps happening. Where do you suggest he begins to tackle the problem? We've been talking to Professor Rafael Paleo, and I want to bring in another expert to help uh, our listener with this problem, a professor of psychology at the Adelaide Institute for Sleep Health at Flinders University, Dr. Leon Lack. Welcome to Life Matters. Firstly, uh, what is going on with this caller falling asleep on the couch and not in bed, Leon? (laughs) Well, uh, that's a a point in time when he's uh, not trying to fall asleep. And as Riff Hale said, trying to fall asleep is counterproductive. Uh, For people that have a build-up sleep pressure, as this person obviously has, uh, they're going to become sleepy in a sedentary type of situation like watching television, particularly after the evening meal. So that's sort of a dangerous time to fall asleep. And if you do fall asleep, then that uh, reduces your sleep drive, uh, gives you a power nap uh, or a longer sleep, and that makes it more difficult than to fall asleep. Uh, Having that uh, sort of alcohol also in the evening may be producing some sedation and uh, driving them to fall asleep too early. Uh, But also alcohol tends to have a detrimental effect on sleep later in the sleep period uh, and help to um, produce those awakenings. Uh, so the, he really needs to avoid uh, that uh, sedentary watching television after uh, after the evening meal, maybe doing even a little bit of work at the computer to finish off what he has to do, to make it feel as though he's completed the day's work, um, and then uh, have a fairly regular bedtime and wake-up time, uh, try to condense his time in bed a little bit uh, to consolidate his sleep. But that uh, wake-up time in the night is something I'd like to get back to because, as Rappel said, uh, we do have those awakenings between those 90-minute sleep cycles. And those awakenings perhaps are uh, programmed into us. In fact, probably were adaptive at one point, little sentry points to check out the environment, uh, make sure that everything's okay, and then fall back to sleep. So waking up at those little light sleep phases between the sleep cycles, between the deep sleep cycles, uh, is not should not be detrimental to the following day and probably served as an adaptive sort of little sentry point uh, in times to ensure our survival. 
Well, this is happening to a few listeners as well. Sonia's texted in and wants to know why when she's drifting off from her, uh, when she's about to drift off, her body jerks her awake because lately this has been happening from about 1am each night. And uh, to quote her, she says, it's killing her. Uh, Leon, what could she be doing about this? Is it natural, (laughs) normal, or could there be something problematic happening for her? Uh, There could be. Um, uh, She might have uh, restless leg syndrome uh, and uh, her body is uh, uh, jerking sort of and that uh, will wake her up. So she might want to consider going to a sleep clinic to have a sleep recording done just to check out that she doesn't have excessive um, uh, periodic limb movements in sleep uh, as a possibility which can be treated. all right, so uh, the uh, the ninety minute sleep cycles is something that people don't really appreciate. We did a, a survey asking people to draw a line, a curve that represented a normal sleep pattern for a healthy young adult. And what they drew was this sort of long, deep curve of where you drift off into sleep, go through light sleep into deeper sleep, and then stay in deep sleep for several hours and then gradually come out of that and wake up in the morning. That's the concept that most people have of a normal sleep period. And that's not correct. As Rafael said, we have these 90-minute sleep cycles. Our sleep across the night is more like a roller coaster, down into a deep sort of uh, pit and then back up 90 minutes later into a light sleep phase. And during that period of time, uh, often we have what is called rapid eye movement sleep, REM sleep. And that's the period of sleep during which you have uh, vivid dreams and the body's physiology is really quite activated. Uh, So if you wake up out of that REM sleep, you can feel alert right away and your mind racing uh, right away. Um, So those are just parts of the normal sleep period, and people need to appreciate that and not fear awakenings across the night. I, I, I think, Leon, though, some of that fear comes from the fact that we have things to be awake for responsibilities in our lives, that there are cultural expectations and a bucket that we have to put sleep in every day and confine it to that place. How do we get the sleep we need at the times that we need around these cultural expectations? Well, you know, that um, idea of writing down uh, what you have to do tomorrow before you go to sleep so that you don't uh, hold them and, you you know, you don't need to feel like you have to remember all those things when you wake up. Uh, That's a a useful idea. But uh, there are some uh, cognitive behavior therapies for insomnia, it's called. And one of the behavioral therapies for people that have chronic insomnia uh, is fairly straightforward, uh, doesn't require drugs and consists generally of, for a short period of time, a week, two weeks or so, reducing the amount of time in bed uh, and consolidating your sleep uh, so that the experience of waking up, which then triggers off an emotional response, uh, can be extinguished. That uh, response can be dampened down if they have the experience of waking up during the night and falling back to sleep quickly, which they will if they have a buildup of sleep pressure as a result of this sort of compression of the sleep period for a short period. So we know that we can treat insomnia pretty effectively with these cognitive behavior therapies. And uh, one of the problems is access to people who are experienced in that. 
but uh, that is still recommended treatment above uh, hypnotic drugs. We're getting a few questions coming in for you both. I'm with Dr. Leon Lack, who's a professor of psychology at the Adelaide Institute for Sleep Health at Flinders University. And Dr. Rafael Paleo is on the line, professor of psychiatry at Stanford University, specialising in sleep. And one of our listeners wants to hear more about screen time. Uh, Rafael, I feel like that is a big boogeyman in the world of modern sleep. Uh, How bad is it uh, for helping uh, for I think you say how good is it good night's I mean, sleep yeah I think we're scapegoating the, the screens too much because insomnia has been around forever insomnia is described in the bible ancient texts describe insomnia so the issue is not really the screens and I remember being a, a, a boy and getting a good novel that would keep me awake and you would say I have a thrill that kept you up all night a page turn I couldn't put the book down it's considered a good book so it's not the screens per se, it's the content. Mm. Depends what you're using the screens for. They're just tools. And this idea of putting blue light on screens, I see that's similar to putting a filter on a cigarette. It doesn't really address the root issue behind it. Um, the, we, do, uh, we do like the idea a lot of journaling, writing things down. I wouldn't do it in the bed in and of itself because when you're doing it in the bed, you, you're getting used to thinking in bed at the same time. And you want to do it away from the bed. If you can't away from the bedroom, write the things down and go. On any given night, if you got ten things to do, if you got eight of them done, you got a good good day. But two you forgot, you're gonna be in bed saying, "I got to remember to do this." So that's part of the issue. Um, I think I think it's very unfair to be pointing so much at the screens, um, especially with the kids, because the kids are being they're being scapegoated. When the reality is, they have a biological drive to go to bed later, and school starts too early, and at least in the United States. So it should not be so much the screens. But however, if you're somebody who, instead of addressing the thoughts, uh, the lady says her husband is, is stressed out, instead of thinking about their work, they, they, they're watching a, a TV show or listening to the radio or putting a podcast to block out their thoughts, not addressing what's keeping them awake in the first place, then the screens become an issue because they're distracting you. And I see that's kind of like going to the gas station when, you, when your car is low on gas and letting the motor run at the pump until it drains out of gas completely. That's not the way you want to do it. So it's not so much what the screens are doing, it's how you're using them. If you're using them to black out your thoughts is one thing. It's a whole separate thing. If you're at ease, you're enjoying, you're, you're, you're settled in your day, you're not using the meditation app, for example, or you're listening to some soothing, music that, some soothing music that you like, that you look forward to listening to, then the screens or the technology is actually helpful to help you sleep. So again, they're just tools. Like tell me if the screens are good or bad. Like ask me if a hammer is good or bad. Mm. Depends how you use them. So they're just tools to this. And by the way, the other comment earlier about uh, Dr. Lack is correct about restless legs, but the other consideration is a phenomenon called hypnic jerks, which is if somebody's about to fall asleep, they twitch, and that wakes them up. And what that usually means is somebody's been laying in bed, the body's expecting you to sleep, but you're keeping yourself awake to the last minute, and then things backfire. And that's the hypnic jerks that you also get. So that's something else to consider, and people get scared by those. It really just means you should have been asleep already by, by then and go to bed at a different time. We can talk about this for hours. I'm sure we both oh, Absolutely. We, we have been discussing issues with falling asleep at the beginning of the night, but one listener has been, been having issues with interrupted sleep and then getting back to sleep. Uh, here's their problem. I am a parent of two small children and I work a job with lots of deadlines and I'm a lifetime insomniac. When I'm on top of my sleep routine, I try to exercise, not work after five meditate, not drink coffee after two, wear a sleep mask and earplugs, and I also don't drink alcohol. 
and this works well to get me to sleep and usually sleep through the night. The problem is if I do wake up, which often happens if I've had a really busy day at work or if the kids wake me, I find it very hard to get back to sleep on my own. I know screens are not recommended, but I find the best way to fall back to sleep during the night is to watch something relaxing for half an hour or so on my phone. If I just lie there, I just end up ruminating and I find I don't have the motivation to read a book. Is using screens in this way harming the quality of my sleep? And do you recommend I try something else during those early morning wake-ups? Well, we did uh, discuss the screen issue, but I want to talk about getting back to sleep. Uh, Sometimes when you jolt awake like that listener did in the middle of the night, you can get those racing thoughts and it can be really hard to return to sleep. Leon, what what are your tips for resuming a, uh, a peaceful state and getting back into sleep? (laughs) Um, Well, I think uh, the person is describing, you know, distracting their mind from uh, what they're worried about and using the screen just to, you know, like a television to distract them and uh, relax them again to uh, enable them to fall back to sleep. If you're concerned about the screen exposure itself, uh, that could be an issue. Um, It is usually fairly white with a blue-tinged light to it and that uh, is probably not a good idea in terms of uh, suppressing melatonin a little bit and maybe making it a little bit more difficult to get back to sleep from the screen. And that can be addressed easily. They, there are apps you can get for your screen which uh, change the color of the screen to uh, more of a pink uh, color, which doesn't have the effect on melatonin at all. So she could continue to uh, use it as a sedating type of activity uh, without the blue screen problem. We are just about out of time, but I want to just distill this into some top easy tips we can take away to reduce our stress at night. Raphael, how can we combat the night worry? Three easy takeaways. Uh, Leon, uh, could you fill in for this one, please? <laughs> yes, well, I think I think one of the main points that we're trying to get across is that waking across the night should be considered part of the normal sleep pattern and not uh, to become concerned uh, about brief awakenings across the night. Now, if your awakening goes on for uh, too long on a regular basis during the night, then they should consider trying to condense their bed period for a period of time for a week or two to consolidate their sleep and start getting the experience of falling back to sleep more rapidly. And then they can extend their period of time in bed gradually and give themselves more more sleeping time after that. So it is a cognitive behavior therapy, which they can administer themselves. And there are some online programs that can help them do that. It sounds like a really good thing to check out. Dr. Leon Lack and Dr. Rafael Paleo, who is back. But thank you so much for being with us on Life Matters. Thank you. I missed a little bit of the last couple of comments. I'm sorry. Oh, those top tips. You'll just have to listen back on our podcast. Uh-huh. Dr. Rafael Paleo is a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Stanford University. And Dr. Leon Lack is a professor of psychology at the Adelaide Institute for Sleep Health at Flinders University. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.